Well, hello everybody. Welcome to episode six of Yes OBS. The final episode in season one, actually, in this seemingly arbitrary <coughs> list of seasons we're putting together. It could be the final episode ever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, never heard by anyone. Yeah. Oh, the project failed from day one. <laughs> episode nothing. So I've kind of I'm trying to bring out some of the big guns for this last episode. Mm-hmm. And I think I'd rather just go straight into Okay, no launch. preamble. No program launch into this one. Okay, are these big facts? Uh, a couple of them are big facts. Okay. Uh, first, ask you, Paul, have you ever heard of the Dyatlov Pass incident? No. Perfect. Right. Mm-hmm. This is, I went a little different on this. It is, it's a historical fact, mm-hmm. but it's kind of, it's got a very kind of spooky, mysterious element to it as well, which is All why right, I okay. really like this one. Right. I'm, I don't even know where the Dyatlov Pass is. It's in Russia. Right. Um, I know I've mentioned Russia about 15 times in the last <laughs> two episodes. I didn't just Google Russian facts. Yes, I think you did. <laughs> but this one, it's it tells the story of there were nine hikers in February 1959 mm-hmm. who all went out to get their grade three hiking certificate. Right. I thought it was a grade three piano. <laughs> yes, let's go. Let's hike into the mountains. <laughs> it's the nearest piano. Yeah. Grade three hiking certificate. Yeah, it's a. It was a Soviet certificate. For, okay. Like how it, each grade was how experienced the hiker was. Right. How many grades was it? Oh, I don't know. I think threes might be the highest actually. Right. Okay. It was pretty. So they're very experienced group. Okay. They're all grade twos at the very least. It's a mixture of some students, scientists. It should have been fairly straightforward. Um, hike up through this mountain, head through the pass, down the other side, done. Few days, all good. Mm-hmm. But. The group didn't return. Right. So after about a week, because it's being February in Russia, people think, oh, well, the weather could have been delayed. They might Mm. have had to make camp for a few more days. Mm -hmm. So they waited another week before they sent the search parties out. And it's this fact is what the search parties found is what's really interesting about this. Okay. It's so unusual because when they got there, they found the tent had been cut open from the inside. All of the clothes and shoes had been abandoned in the tent mm-hmm. and they were the nine sets of footprints leading away from the tent so straight off the bat the rescuers are like right what's going on here mm-hmm. why would you cut open the tent from the inside yeah are all of them in the same tent all of them in the same tent it's right. one large tent and they find they saw some of the footprints were bare feet as well so they've just abandoned this oh, tent right, okay. in the depth of a russian winter right they followed the first sets of footprints down to a forest clearing where they found the first bodies. Right. Uh, this is them. a lovely cheery fact for the last episode. <laughs> it's so That's f- where they found the first <laughs> set of bodies. It's so fascinating, this one, though. So they found, they found two bodies around a campfire, almost completely naked. Oh. And then further up the mountain, scattered, they found three other bodies. Right. Some with bits of clothes on, others not so much. Right. It actually took them two months to find all nine of these hikers. Right. Further away in a ravine, they found one of the hikers with her tongue was missing, her eyes were missing, and part of her lips were missing as well. But no other Ugh. no other signs of... Because they thought maybe an animal had got to her. Yeah. But no other signs of trauma. Another guy... He was found with external, like with trauma to his chest. And a doctor said, this is akin to imagine being hit by a car that would cause these sort of injuries. Right. So they didn't have any explanation of what happened to these hikers. Okay. So it's a very, it's a big mystery. 
And it's still unsolved? Still unsolved. There are some theories, Mm -hmm. but nothing that's ever been able to be proven. Right. And what are these? some of these theories? Uh, One of them thought that it might be something called a Carmen Vortex, which is on a mountainside, the way... This is going back into science again here. Mm -hmm. The way the wind hits a mountain and a valley, it starts to make a certain pitch of sound. All right, okay. And that pitch kind of can cause panic in people. So they thought oh, right. it might have been the sound of the mountain that it was a very strong wind that night. They thought, oh, ah, they panicked. They think there was an avalanche or something. They said, right, we've got to get out of the way. We've got to right. run. So they just got out as quick as possible. Right, but it was okay. the dead of night, so they couldn't make it back to the tent. Right. And they all died. They all separated. And... But that doesn't explain how one of them had that blunt trauma to the chest. Mm-hmm. And I think he had a fractured skull as well. And there was no explanation for that. Okay. So the second theory is they thought the Soviet military might have been testing parachute mines. Oh, which blimey. All right, then. On explosion, sends out like a shockwave, which would break ribs, knock people to the ground. Right. But that one doesn't explain how one of them was missing tongue, eyes, Ooh. that sort of thing. Right. So there's a few theories, but one of them is that there might have been a, a lover's tiff in the tent and that it caused a fight. But then why would everybody just why go running out? Leave? Yeah. yeah. It's probably because they were sharing a tent with you, Paul. That's what I would say. <laughs> yeah, it's the only survivor. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that is the fact, Paul. Did this happen? Now, this is extraordinary. Mm. It's very brutal. Mm. So if you've made this up, this is awful. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to know. It's, like, it's already horrendous. And then you come out with the point of a woman missing her eyes and tongue. Mm. Uh, now, I have heard stories of like a very cold temperatures when people are hypothermic or whatever mm. it is. They kind of get muddled up and try to take clothes off. Mm. And I know that that's a thing that happens. Mm. It would be odd for it to happen to all nine all of them, nine at, the of them at the same time. Yeah. So I know that there's a sort of precedent for odd things happening at cold temperatures. Mm. This Carmen vortex is, mm. that, is that like Bizet's Carmen? Uh, oh, that's a that's a musical thing, isn't it? It's a classical music reference there. Just uh, watch that um, tumbleweed <laughs> fly across the room. Yeah. So um, that's I've never heard of that. Whereabouts in Russia is this? Uh, I've what, got the region. The what pass? Uh, actually, they named the pass after the leader of the hiking expedition. Oh, right, okay. After, after it happened. Because in memory of the, the leader. But it was in the 50s. A region called the Sverdolsk Oblast region. Wow, okay. Right, I have no idea where that is. Again, in, <laughs> in, in my Googling of Russia. <laughs> <laughs> this is interesting. I like unsolved mysteries mm. and this sort of peculiar stories. I, li- I like this kind of side mm. of things. I've never heard of this before. Mm. So if it was true, I kind of think it's very arrogant to presume that I would have heard of it before. But no, <laughs> I wouldn't have done. Nine people. Yep. Nine 50s. Okay. There's just so many horrible details in this. Mm. The blunt trauma. Yeah, actually two of them had blunt trauma. So they, something happened in the tent. They all ran out of the tent. They got split up and they all died horrible deaths. Yes. And no one knows what's happened. Okay, I... Like you said, really cheering people up. Yeah, straight we're, out we're the hitting the ground running with this one. Yeah. I'm going to say that this is true. And I'm going to say that because I'm going to pay you the compliment of saying that you wouldn't have made anything up as horrendous as that. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I'm going on in it. It sounds very, very plausible. 
like odd things happen to people at cold temperatures. It's strange mm. that it would happen to so many people at once. This grade three climbing certificate seems <laughs> a little unusual. I don't know, you could have made that up. <laughs> that's, that's, that, that's what you're zeroing in on. It does sound like something. It's like, what if you were going to come up with this story, it'd be like, what would take people up in the mountains? Getting a certificate in hiking. <laughs> And it would be grade three. So when I've Googled Russian names of places. <laughs> You've Googled Russian places and made up a climbing certificate. Mm. But then all this horrible stuff afterwards. Yeah, I'm going to say that this actually happened. I'm going to say this is true. Final answer? Yes. It's true. Wow. Yeah, it's... And think some of the survivors, they actually found clothes from other members of the team. So mm. they don't know if... Some of them died of hypothermia, so they took their clothes and tried to walk off and try and find somewhere else oh, to right. get help. Or if they clung someone over their head, took their clothes. Oh, right. It's all a very big, That's big mystery. Very strange. There's an avalanche theory as well, where they thought they might have heard what they thought was an avalanche, so they had to get out of the quick, quick yeah. and make it down to the bottom. But the, there's actually... there's. I didn't go into other parts of this. There's a couple of conspiracy theories tacked onto this. I bet end. there's some sort of supernatural theories. Yeah, there's well. some supernatural theories, and there's also like some Soviet military testing, like, yeah, psychotropic drug theories. Ooh. There were some people saying that there was reports of an additional two bodies that weren't a part of the group. Oh, so, right, okay. Were they attacked by someone? Oh, was that the military? But what yeah. a weird story! Yeah, it's, it's kind of creepy. That's why I like really like this one. I thought I'd go kind of. That's odd. That yeah. is odd. I kind of want to read up on that now. I'm going with some geography now. My fact is that the town at well, there is a town at the geographical center of North America. And the town is called Center, which probably isn't too surprising because Americans like that sort of naming convention thing. But the fact Apologies that Apologies to any American <laughs> listeners. <laughs> Paul's no, actually, broad blanket... St- Americans like that sort of thing. No, there's lots of funny names of places in America. There's like a town called, like... There's a town called Santa Claus in Arizona. Oh, there you go. Yeah, there are lots of strange names in America. Um, uh, UK too as well, by the way. That's true. Like little Titling or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> 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 Yeah, they all have names like Long Job and stuff. (laughs) Anyway, um, yeah, the town at the geographical centre of all of North America, not just the United States, all of North America, Mm. is called Centre. But the fact that it's called Mm Centre is a total coincidence. Ooh, so why did they call it Centre in the first place? Right, so this town is called Centre in North Dakota. It was founded in 1902. Uh, so it's not it's not that old. It um, kind of grew and grew and grew. By 1930, there was about 300 people living there. And by 2010, there's only about 600 people living there. Mm. So it's st- still quite a small town. Very sort of nondescript. The reason it was called Centre is because it's at the centre of Oliver County, mm-hmm. which is one of the sort of counties that makes up North Dakota. And it's sort of vaguely in the middle of the county. It's not even precisely in the centre of <laughs> Oliver County. But that's why it was mm. called that. Um, and then that was it. That was literally the end of the story. That's what the town was going to be called. It was vaguely where it was. It didn't claim to be anything else. Nearby, there are two towns called Rugby, uh, North Dakota, and Robinson, North Dakota, both of which separately claimed to be 
the mm. center of North America. So they did make a bit of a song and dance about it. One of them, I think it's Robinson, North Dakota, claims that the exact center of North America is, is the bar in the middle of the town, which is probably a bit more of a publicity <laughs> stuff than anything else. I wonder why. Yeah. Uh, and they hold a, a, a fair every year on um, center of America Day or something mm. like that. So it's a sort of local thing. And the fact that two towns claim to be the center of North America was reported in the Wall Street Journal in 2016. Mm -hmm. So this article turned up going, this is very curious, no one's really looked into this. The last time this was researched was 1931, when the US Geological Survey figured out that it was rugby, not Robinson, that was at the middle of the United States. God, it's been sitting on their hands for a while then. <laughs> do, you know, do you know what their, their method of working out the exact centre of oh things God, was this is gonna be back ridiculous. in 1931? Was um, to make a basically a cardboard cutout and then find the point at which it balanced on the head of a pin. What? <laughs> so like the, is... the centre of something was seen as being the sort of centre of gravity. So you would cut out the picture of the state and you'd try and balance it on a point and the point at which it was completely flat on top of the pin was where they said the centre was. Now I'm no <laughs> scientist, but this I'm is, pretty yeah. sure... <laughs> That's not the best method. What? Yeah, so that was the method back in the 1930s and rugby was given the crown at this mm. point. And so they, you know, they make a big hoo-ha about it. You can now buy t-shirts and all the rest of it. So this is, <laughs> this is as I said... <laughs> big hoo-ha, you can now buy t-shirts. You can buy t-shirts, but they have these village fates and all the mm. rest of it. Um, so this was in 2016 about how curious this was that two different places claimed to do it. So step forward, University of Buffalo geographer Peter Rogerson. Not the Peter Rogerson. Hello, Peter, if you're listening. <laughs> now, he, in his studies at the University of Buffalo, uh, developed a new method for working out the precise centres of geographical areas that took into consideration lots of different variables, like the curvature of the Earth and all this sort of stuff. So it wasn't just balancing maps on pins anymore. It was serious data. It's still very, it's a very difficult thing to do still, but he came up with a really good method imagine, of doing it. Isn't that GPS not an easy way to solve this? I don't know. Maybe it is. Again, not a scientist. Again, I don't know the ins and outs of his method. Um, but yeah, so he, he had worked this all out and published, the, uh, published his method for doing this in 2015. So he read this article and was like, no one's worked this out since 1931. I think I'll do it. So he puts all of his data in, he crunches all the numbers and all the rest of it. And it turns out that the precise centre of North America is this town a few miles down the road from Rugby called Centre hmm. that had never claimed to be anything other than sort of vaguely near the middle of the county <laughs> that it was in. And it turned out to be this continental centre. Now, when I've done this in the past, I went and found the name of a university professor... <laughs> And then build a factor out a complete lie. Yeah. So I don't know if you've decided to just do the same. Mm -hmm. You've picked a university. You thought, oh, Professor, what was he called? Roberts? Peter Rogerson. Peter Rogerson, yeah. If he's listening, well done. If fans. he exists. <laughs> <laughs> so what, is there like a, are they making a big thing of this now? Are they making, getting tourist, getting um, a tourist dollar in? I wouldn't think that a town of 600 people wants very many tourists there, to be perfectly honest. Mm. Um but yes, they, they've, they now state the claim to being the centre of the continent. I think rugby probably still tries to make a bit of a play for it. Um, it's not going to crash the rugby economy, is it? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> We've um, relied on those 50 tourists. <laughs> down the road in the bar. <laughs> Sales plummet. one bar. Damn it, that was my business plan. <laughs> but uh, no, yeah, it's, it's the fact that it's a complete coincidence as to why it's called what it's called. I'm leaning towards this 
being true mm -hmm. just because there's quite a few dry facts mm -hmm. to back it up. It doesn't sound made up. Mm -hmm. The towns around it. Mm -hmm. Center of North America, does that include is Mexico? North Canada, America? Mexico, yeah, all of that. goes all the way down to Panama, North America. Mm. So is that like the very top tip of like some Canadian island right down to right Mexico? Down to Panama, Bowl, yeah. Right down to Panama, yeah. And yeah. the middle is in North Dakota. North Dakota, yeah, which is up on the Canadian border, just along from the Great Lakes. Mm. Is that Mount Rushmore in North Dakota? Yes, I think it is, yes. Hey, look at that. Got a uh, fact right, knowledge. baby. <laughs> <laughs> We've redeemed ourselves in the eyes of the American <laughs> listeners. Oh, maybe it's South Dakota. Oh, bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the Dakotas. <laughs> feel, feel free to get in touch. Yeah. <laughs> Let us know. This seems true. I'm going to trust my gut. Mm -hmm. I'm ready to take the final answer. Okay. This is true. This is true. God. Yeah, complete coincidence that it's called what it's called. I might go and visit there. If any, just for just for the crack. <laughs> <laughs> go and say hello. Yeah, we should. Yeah, with uh, yeah, we'll both go. <laughs> yeah, Celebrate. We'll, we'll, let's record a live podcast from there. <laughs> from Centre North Dakota. <laughs> Coming to you live from Centre North Dakota. <laughs> we'll turn up and be like, oh, we'll visit Mount Rushmore while we're here. We're like, that's in South Dakota. Whoop <laughs> Okay, Paul, we're now on one all, mm -hmm. and my next fact, we're moving into the world of nature. Right. Uh, how much do you know about possums? Um, I know what they are. Fantastic. Uh, and they play dead. Yes, and that is how we're going to lead into my first fact about possums. Okay. Oh, is uh, this one of these ones where you've got a chain of facts? <laughs> yeah. Right, okay. A chain of facts, listed one after the other. Right. So, did you know that possums don't actually play dead, uh, they pass out in sheer terror, and it's actually involuntary. Oh, right, okay. Yep. Like so... those goats. Yes. So they... Those goats that pass out. <laughs> yeah. Fainting goats. Yeah, fainting goats. Oh, they're so cute. <laughs> Imagine having one of them as a pet. You just never leave the house. <laughs> I'd never stop scaring the shit out of them. <laughs> 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 That's going to sound lovely without the actions. <laughs> For the listeners, I mimed uh, uh, the goat falling over, yeah. which was where the sound effects It was very from. realistic. Exactly. Even, even more realistic that he's currently dressed as a goat. <laughs> <laughs> we will have to like live stream one of, these, yeah. one of these days. And as part of their passing out in sheer terror, they release a foul-smelling fluid from their anal glands to deter predators from from eating them. Okay. We can't even go six episodes without mentioning <laughs> anal glands. I never understood like the playing dead thing. Like for other animals that play dead. Like that's the whole point. If you've the yeah you want the animal to be dead so you can eat it. Yeah, but is the idea not that it's been dead for a while? So that, I think that's where the, the anal gland comes in. But <laughs> how many times you said that? <laughs> But for other things, where people say, like, oh, when you see a bear, you should play dead. I thought it was the opposite for bears. You don't go, like, charging out oh, and yeah, screaming. Oh, yeah, fight a bear. Like I a reckon I bear. could take it on <laughs> in a battle of wits. Maybe not physically, but I reckon I could outsmart it. Challenge it to a game of chess. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, you got me there, Jones. <laughs> anyway, when it passes out like that, its lips throw back, it starts to form at the mouth, wow. and it stares off into space. Wow. But this is completely involuntary. It's probably it's probably an evolutionary thing anyway, because if you start forming at the mouth and you release scents from you, like it's probably gonna drive off predators. Mm. But the main fact is completely involuntary. Right, Some okay. Bonus facts 
Former US President Jimmy Carter used to hunt possums. That doesn't surprise me. For fun, I believe. Mm-hmm. Did you also know they have opposable thumbs on their back feet? So, yeah, so watch out, evolution. Why on their back feet? Uh, it, 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 do they hang the, upside down? I don't know, actually. They might do. Opposable thumbs on their back feet? Yes. That's peculiar. Yeah. They're a very peculiar animal. They're, I'm trying to picture what one looks like. Does it kind of look like a big rat? Yeah, like a giant rat, but a bit... But kind of pretty, cute at the same time. Some people find them cute. They're kind of ugly, Oh, I think. They're like, they've got very new... I think I'm thinking of the wrong... Gnarly What's teeth? an opossum? It's the same thing. It's just, I think, in... It's Irish. <laughs> That's a good joke. Joke of the day. Yeah, joke of the day. I think opossums is just the name they use in the States. Oh, I don't know. Possums, like UK, Australia. Are they marsupials, aren't they? Yes, they are. I say I'm thinking now of like... Now you're giving me the, the possums I'm, I'm trying to remember what a possum looks like and I can't picture one. Because I, I kind of have in my head something that looks a bit like a wombat. That's kind of it, but they're smaller, I think. Because wombats are cute. Yeah, it's not cute. Though. Possums yeah, are possums. sort of ratty looking. Yeah. They're kind of pests, I think. Are they? Especially in Australia. This is go- I'm going. I'm basing this on an na- episode of Neighbours I watched about 15 <laughs> years ago. So the Australian... what, what happened to the possum in Neighbours? <laughs> I think it's dead. I don't know. Oh. It was Toadfish was looking after it. Well, he wasn't looking after it. He had a possum problem. There's another bonus a fact. possum problem? Yeah, I think his, his loft was infested with possums. Oh. Oh, so they are kind of like rats. Yeah, of... but big. But they're like sort of, if you had them in your house, you wouldn't want them in your no, house. No, you wouldn't want them in there. Oh, right. Okay. Kind of like you, Paul. <laughs> Every week. <laughs> okay. Um... So the the main fact is that when they play dead, which is one of the famous things that they do, it's an involuntary reaction. Completely involuntary. So is it sort of like a a burst of adrenaline that gives them this? No, it's just sheer terror. Uh, they pass out in fear and f- froth at the mouth and froth effectively mouth. fart. <laughs> it's a very violent excretion of fluid. Uh, right. Okay. Well, not that violent. It just oh seems now skunks. Mm. They release things that smell. So there's a precedent for that. But they don't pass out. And they presumably do that voluntarily. <laughs> Doesn't just <laughs> go off like a geezer every so often. <laughs> so there's a precedent for spraying foul fluids. Mm. And I remember one of our dogs having its anal glands cleaned once at the vet while I was there. And holy wow. Jesus, <laughs> you haven't smelled anything <laughs> until you've had that happen in front of you. So well, yeah, you've really had a treat today, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> So there's a, yeah there is a precedent for that. It's so it's the, the only thing that I'm based this on is whether it's involuntary or not. Mm. I I now this is a very good fact because I'd always presumed that it, it was a sort of predatory response like oh mm. I've been hunted so if I play dead and whatever's fluid. so that I smell like a corpse <laughs> whatever's hunting me won't want to eat me anymore. Mm. So if this is something that's kind of an evolutionary quirk, it, how how good that it's worked? Like it's. <laughs> I was gonna say, well done to the possum. Yeah, well done for accidentally <laughs> doing something really clever, evolutionary. <laughs> so it's just whether it's involuntary or not mm. that's the question. I'm gonna say that yes, this is true. Fine. Because Ooh. if it's BS, you have come up with a really smart fact. It's like you're saying I couldn't come up with a really smart fact. But maybe you've Dr. Seussed me on this one. Mm. No, I'm going to say it's true. I'm going to say that it's... They don't consciously pretend to be dead. I think they pass out. 
Now I've said it like that, I think it's <laughs> probably not true. But no, I'm going to stick with my guns. I'm going to say that that is true. Final answer? Yes. It is true. Wow. Yeah, it's involuntary. They just kind of pass out. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Mm. That is amazing. Because it looks like a learned behaviour. Mm. Similar to... Um, those the goats really just yeah kind of, uh, it just it's so but the possum see now that's a shame on the goats because the possums uh, <laughs> this happens to the possums and everyone goes oh how clever and it happens to the goats <laughs> and everyone just pisses themselves laughing <laughs> those poor goats the, the goats need a better PR manager yeah they do have you seen it when the goats go really stiff but they still try to keep running <laughs> no that's oh bless them oh that's getting googled do you know what, he has a fact about goats they have lengthways pupils in their eyes really like snakes or something no snakes really snakes go top to bottom these go from left to right the only other animal that has that i think is the cuttlefish so it's two completely different things that have evolved separately there's a bonus fact for you but yes completely true no (laughs) (laughs) bonus point I'm going to play it one of my strengths again here. And is it literature again, Paul? No, it isn't. Oh. It's classical music. Oh. So, this, uh, the, your grade three and tenor horn playing is <laughs> going to come into one Shout here. out to all the tenor horn players out there. <laughs> Those six notes you learned over three years is really going to help you out here. Uh, okay, so, the fact is that one of the inventors of the modern kettle drum didn't envisage it just as a drum and saw that the potential of it was that you, they could play full pieces of solo music. On a drum? Yeah. Like melodies? Yes. So he didn't see them as just, you know, boom, 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 boom. Every so often. He saw them that you could play like full, huge pieces of solo music on kettle drums. So what, the kettle drum... Timpani. Big t- copper barrel shaped drums. There's usually about four or eight of them at the back of an orchestra played by two different people. Oh, those giants. Yeah. So the the, the main construction's copper then they've got the skin yeah. at the top gotcha yes. okay like, boom, 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 yeah boom. not the most versatile instrument <laughs> like most drums uh-huh. uh, they're not particularly versatile so kettle drum came out of military drums originally um and they started to be added to orchestral music in the 1700s by the early 1800s the technology had started to improve so that was when the sort of metal basses came in mm. and they started adding pedals to them and this is what is makes... so he could ride them around town? <laughs> Not bicycle pedals. <laughs> uh, there is a pedal on a kettle drum that when you press it down, it tightens the drum skin so that it changes the pitch slightly. Really? So you can hit more than one note with the kettle drum. So you can pitch them. Larger the drum, different notes. That's a hell of a thing. You've got to work that pedal. It's, if you quite, want to get it it's, quite, an intru- it's quite an instrument. Before then, they'd had to be sort of retuned by hand every single time. So you can pitch a kettle drum, but... Every time you wanted a different note out of it, you'd have to stop and tighten the, the drum, drum skin yourself and yada, yada, yada. So, um, yeah, late 1800s in Dresden, the tuning pedal was developed in Germany. And this became really, really popular. Steps in, in 1915, the Danish composer Carl Nielsen. He's a modern composer, very, very strange. And he loved the idea that you could now tone a drum with a pedal oh i love it he (laughs) really saw the potential in this and he started working on sort of new developments to the pedal and thought that as technology improved the the technology at the time wasn't great so that you couldn't stretch the drum skin too much otherwise it would just burst open Mm. but he saw a point at which you could maybe get three or four different notes out of one drum and he saw that the only constraint to that musically was the technology itself so when the technology improves 
you'll be able to hit any note that you want. So this is the guy who believed you could play melodies. This is the guy, Carl Nielsen. He he thought that improve the technology enough, all you need is shitloads of drums <laughs> and an equally large number of players. <laughs> well, I've got to say, wait a minute. Like, is this one person running from drum to drum? But no, you legends. Yeah, there's going to be lots and lots of drummers. Think of think of a sort of steel drum band, but instead of steel drums, they're, they're playing... A set nobody, of kettle drums. Nobody the hell of a lot of drummers. Yes. How, like, how, like, how many octaves have you got first? Well, he envisions that you'd only be able to hit a range of about 37 different notes, which mm. is three octaves from C to C, basically. So two octaves below middle C, one octave above. Mm. And it doesn't, he didn't know how great the technology was going to be. So he didn't know how many drums that was going to be, how many players that was going to be. But he knew that if you improved the technology enough, you could hit that range of notes just on some drums. This sounds like he's wasted his life. (laughs) (laughs) Well, oddly, this never happened. Uh, Because at the end of the day, it's just a drum. Did somebody say you're wasting your life, Carl? (laughs) Yeah, it's not not great. But that didn't stop him from writing two pieces of music. Uh, One, a series of five studies for timpani, Mm -hmm. which was written in 1924. And another one, a full Sinfonia Animato for timpani or for kettle drums in 1926. So he wrote two pieces for kind of ensembles of pitched kettle drums which were literally never invented were the was this support was he did he envisage this being as part of an orchestra as no well? this or is um you would go and see this a, would a sound kettle drum terrible. concert <laughs> this yeah. is the worst idea i've ever heard you've got to think have you ever heard of carl nielsen's music no yeah strange right 1920s classical music is not art, art deco yeah, music not it's pretty atonal. But yeah, so you would go and see a kettle drum concert, basically. So you could but... get like Happy Birthday played out <laughs> on about 15 kettle drums. You could, but it wouldn't be part of Carl Nielsen's <laughs> concert, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, but that was the idea that, that you got enough drums together, you could pitch them covering quite a few octaves and play solo pieces of music with lots and lots of drummers uh, and lots and lots of drums, but you'd be able to cover lots and lots of notes and have whole pieces of music. Uh, yeah, this never happened, understandably, because A, it's just a drum, and B, no one ever thought... No one, <laughs> that no one thought ever did this it. was a good idea. Yeah, no, that's probably pretty much it. How no big are kettle drums as well? They're like, pretty big. Like, you've got to put a concert on with 37 kettle drums. Yeah. Like, that's a... Yeah, it's a big undertaking. Well, it wouldn't be one note per drum. Ah. There wouldn't be 37 Oh, because you've got your pedal. Yeah. Oh, you've you got can, like two you notes hit, per drum. You can hit at least two notes with each drum, yeah. Mm. Understandably, I've just written down here, never performed. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, these literally weren't ever invented. And there wasn't a great deal of interest in it. Really? It was sort of more... They're more noted for their theoretical point of view, these two pieces of music. They're very popular among um, like musicologists, mm. especially people who are interested in percussion, obviously. But one of them in 1933, which is two years after Nielsen died, so it was right at the end of his life he was working on this, one of them was arranged for piano solo by Béla Bartók. He took mm. the theme of one of these pieces of music. He took the kettle drum concerto. <laughs> Symphonia <laughs> Adebato. Um, no, it was the other one. It was the five studies for Timmy. Oh, sorry, Paul. It was, yeah. the, it was, the, it was the five one. studies for Timmy. And he arranged them for piano solo, mm. which obviously makes them slightly more melodic and a little bit more versatile on a piano than there is on a kettle drum. Okay, this sounds like a complete ridiculous waste of time. <laughs> But <laughs> that's just your opinion of classical music. <laughs> Get me some Sia, cheap thrills. <laughs> Shout out to Sia. <laughs> she's listening. <laughs> uh, I'm leaning towards this being true. Because it's mm-hmm. the kind of 
It's got a 1920s ring of nonsense to it. Oh, we've got nothing better to do other than... <laughs> Betwixt wars. <laughs> Between the wars, let's get 37 kettle drums and write a, write a piece to yeah. go with them. People love listening to a tune played on a drum. <laughs> That's literally what it would be like. It's, that would be terrible. The, the thing is, there's no backup to the melody with this. No, and this, this is why it's sort of become a theoretical thing more than anything else, is that you can't change the tone of it, you can't phrase it necessarily, because at the end of the day, you're just hitting a drum. Although it makes me think they did have that kettle drum technology to tighten the, tighten the skin mm. or loosen it or whatever. And I think you've taken that. I think you've found an obscure composer. Oh, <laughs> you've, Googled, you've Googled crazy composers. <laughs> And then you've, dot com. <laughs> so you've taken him, his name, his craziness. There's a base, there's a nugget of truth from that. You can do that with kettle drums, and then you you've had the thought, you can do this across thirty seven <laughs> to get. <laughs> it's, it's, it's my idea all yeah, along. It's actually your idea. I, I can't wait. <laughs> this is something you're going to do. Copyright tag at Oaks. <laughs> oh, do you need your thirty seven drum kettle drum starter kit? <laughs> Any child would love to learn. So I think that's what's happened here. So I'm going to call BS on this one. Okay. That is my final answer. This is all made up? Mm-hmm. This is BS. Yes! I've, yeah. You're was I, was exactly I... right. Whoa! I thought you can change the pitch on a kettle drum. Let's play a full piece of music on a if kettle drum. If you hadn't mentioned the pedal, he was excited about the pedal. Yeah. Oh, how far can we go with this technology? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, that's something that Carl Nielsen would probably have done. His music's... <laughs> Unusual. Those mm. two pieces of music don't exist. Oh, Ooh, I'm getting your thought process down <laughs> now, Paul. See, it's gonna see have to change it, tack in the next season. See it into your mind. Okay, Paul, we're on two all. Coming into my final fact. Mm-hmm. Um, falling back again on history, just because I love it so much. Okay, I, I feel the pressure on here because we've got them all right so far. Yeah, this, I think it's because we're both pulling out the big guns oh, yeah. for the final episode here. Okay. I'm going to take you back to 216 BC into right. the Punic Wars between Rome and Carthage. Oh, hey. I was right, going to say, okay. now, how much do you know about the Punic Wars? I only found out that uh, the war with Carthage was called the Punic Wars about two years ago. Fantastic. I already feel on steady ground. <laughs> this is yeah. like when I went to uh, secondary school and I only found out then that there are positions in football. <laughs> 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 I'm already on the back foot here. <laughs> wow. Sports is going to be my next fact. Yeah. So I'm taking you back to, it's you know the story of Hannibal crossing the Alps? Yeah. He went up through Iberia, modern-day Spain, mm-hmm. crossed the Alps in winter, came down. Yeah. So we're at the stage now in 216 BC. He's rampaging across Italy. Right. Romans can't do anything to stop him because he's, he's... He's got elephants. He's got elephants. And who, he, who would want to stop him? He was one of the best generals in history. He knew amazing tactics beat the Romans at every turn mm-hmm. while I was in Italy. It's a shame he ate all those people. He what? Oh, a, oh, oh. <laughs> oh it's the sounds of the lambs joke. Jesus, whips. The fact that it took me a couple of seconds to get that joke. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So the, the main fact here is I want to tell you about one of the bloodiest battles, not just of this war, but of history today. Okay. I, I like this fact already. So, so, the main crux of this fact is at the end of this battle, the Roman Republic had lost one-fifth of the male citizen population over the age of 17. Wow, so one, okay. Virtually a fifth of all the males were now dead at the end of this battle. Right. Rome was really on the ropes at this point. They kind of estimate between... There could have been between 45,000 and 70,000 Romans killed 
on this one day. Wow. This is even more than the Somme, who were using bullets, shells, mm. much more advanced weaponry. So this is... There's still some debate around single bloodiest day, but right. this is up there. It's called the Battle of Cannae in southeast Italy. Okay. So he got all the way down to southeast. Italy. Well, because he couldn't take Rome, so he thought, "I go on the rampage. Right. I'll, I'll get all of Rome's allies in the south. We'll turn all the city states against them. Mm. We'll wreck all the crops. We'll try and starve Rome out." Right. Of course, the Romans, being stubborn bastards as mm. they usually are constantly refused to surrender even mm-hmm. though they'd lost a fifth of their male population <laughs> they were like, good for them <laughs> yeah. good for you Rome because <laughs> I think by this time Hannibal had been rampaging for so long the Romans had managed to take back some of the Spanish territory so they were getting food shipments back oh, into right, Rome okay. by the sea so he couldn't take Rome Mm-hmm. Some interesting facts around this, the Romans in Rome itself were so panicked, they made a human sacrifice, they buried some slaves alive to try and appease the gods, and a baby was thrown into the Adriatic, Ooh. just as a kind of... Why? Baby, <laughs> to, to That'll help. <laughs> Actually, after that, Hannibal was so shocked... He left Italy. <laughs> she should have done. <laughs> it's like, well, I'm not conquering that. Who wants to own this place? <laughs> but again, due to Roman sheer stubbornness, mm. Hannibal had to just leave Italy in the end and go back to Carthage. Right, okay. And, uh, peace was later broken. Right. But the main fact of that is the Romans lost one-fifth of their male citizen population. On one day? Not on one day. There was a couple of battles, but it was at the end of this battle, fifth of the men were dead. Right. And what's this battle called? Uh, Cannae. Hi, which is down in the southeast. Southeast, yes. Okay, is there like an actual sort of battleground that you can go and visit? Um, I don't know actually. I don't. I, you can probably. There's still a town of Cannae, I think. Right. Okay. Uh, so it's near there. I don't know if we know exactly where it is. Right. They didn't leave a plaque or anything down there. And as many as seventy thousand people. Just the Romans, seventy thousand killed. Um, right. I think about 8,000 Carthaginians and their allies were killed. So how many people did Hannibal have with him then when he was crossing Ooh, the Alps? By that point, he had about forty to 50,000 left. So I don't know how many wow. originally came with him. Like I said, he was... Wow. He was... See, this is a real like a blind spot in my knowledge mm. of history. My knowledge of history isn't great anyway, to be perfectly mm. honest. But yeah, the idea of crossing the Alps, he didn't realise there was that many people went with him. Mm. I think he picked up people on the way. So once he got in, crossed the Alps, went into Gaul, picked mm. up some guys there... Said, yeah, do you want to go smash the Romans up? Mm. Like, oh, go on then. It was Asterix and Obelix he picked up. Because <laughs> <laughs> they shared their magic potion with the Carthaginians. <laughs> <laughs> no, but for now, I think you're making this up. So anyone who's ever read Asterix would only get that. So I'm hoping there's Asterix fans out there. Wasn't there a character in Asterix called something like Get a Fix? He was. He has different names in French. Maybe in the American version. I don't know. That, now, this is niche knowledge. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, okay. Coming up next time. Yes, <laughs> we, we list our favourite Asterix <laughs> characters. Um, okay. This sounds very plausible. The reason being, um, I was writing an article a very, very long time ago about the Battle of Towton, which was mm. one of either the last or one of the first battles in the Wars of the Roses. I think mm. it was one of the last. And that's the bloodiest battle that's ever been fought on British soil. Mm. And that, in like 24 hours, wiped out 1% of the entire population of England. It was Mm. enormous. So I know that there is a sort of precedent for huge battles that can have massive impacts on population. I think this was cumulative. So there was two prior battles the Romans had lost, but they weren't nearly as bloody as Cannae. Cannae tipped them over the edge to that one-fifth. 
Right. Dead men. A fifth of the entire male population of... The Roman Republic. The so Roman Republic. Roman territories. This is the citizen population as well. Right, okay, now you're blinding me with stats here. Roman Republic. <laughs> is the Roman Republic anything that's owned by Rome yes. at this point? Yeah. Right. And the citizen population. Now, this isn't citizen just because people who live there, that, that actually meant something specific. Yes. Yeah. To be, yeah I think of, there were certain criteria you had to meet to be a citizen of Rome. To be a Rome. citizen of Rome, right, okay. So one-fifth of that entire popula- male population over the And it was mostly 17. citizens who were in the army. Right, okay. Yeah, I think this sounds plausible, but I also know that you like your history, you like your military history especially, you like your Roman history, <laughs> and this sort of bundles everything together, and I can imagine you really loving just making <laughs> something up like this. There's lots of little details in here, like the fact that he couldn't get into Rome, so he went all the way down the east coast. Because mm. there were a, were a series of Punic Wars, weren't they? They were. Right, okay. And this is just one of them. Yes. Right. I've got no way of sort of analysing <laughs> this to decide. I'm just going to have to take a punt. I think you could have made this up. Because I know how much you like it. You could literally have just looked at the map of Italy and said, say there's a battle there. I want to talk about Hannibal. I want to talk about Carthage. I know a little bit about Hannibal. Yeah. Throw him in. I've, I've never heard of anything about this. And literally mm. my knowledge of Hannibal is that he took some elephants across the Alps. <laughs> okay, I'm going with my gut. I'm going to say that this, and I still want to get this right. I'm going to say this is true. Final answer? Final answer, yes, this is true. This fact is completely true. Yes! Oh, I thought I nearly had you. I could so see you making that up. but I did initially think about making something up mm. to do with the battle, but I thought this battle was quite interesting anyway. Especially yeah. like, I thought you wouldn't believe us when I said like one-fifth of the male. I, that's because that's a, me a bit, yeah. That's a lot. That's a big number. The thing is, I, yeah, it's the... That Battle of Towton thing, 1% of the entire population of mm. England in a day. And I know that wasn't the biggest. Mm. So, yeah, 20% is a lot. Yeah, I think... That's um, ridiculous. I think it was 150,000 dead Roman citizens. That's insane. Over the course of two or three battles. That's insane. And to this one, the Romans took 86,000 men. They thought, right, this has got to shut them up. Mm. Well, Hannibal won. Wow, that's extraordinary. Mm. What a good fact. Oh. 20% of the entire male population of citizens. Yeah, over 17. Good yeah. grief. Wow. So I'll tell you what, who, who wouldn't want to live in the Roman time? <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, that puts you in the lead. 3-2. Yeah, but you could pull this back. I'm not losing the last episode here. Like. It's going to be another draw, isn't it? I could win this. Q, oh, it's a draw. Cue dramatic themes. Yeah. And plus, just to put more pressure on it, we've got all five of these right so mm. far. So yeah, all or nothing. So my last fact is, I'm going to tell you about a man in Scotland who opened a museum dedicated to himself. Ooh. Okay. Uh, this is a man named James McLeod. Right, you've made this up already. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's the most stereotypical Scottish... <laughs> Second name. All right, Highlander. I'm keeping, right. I'm keeping going with it. Um, he was born in 1840 mm-hmm. uh, in a town called Kingussie, which is up in the Highlands. And uh, his mother was from Yorkshire and his father was from Scotland. So it's basically the family was incredibly wealthy. His 
his dad's side of the family owned Crofts all across Scotland. Mm. And his mother's side of the family owned a textiles mill in Bradford. That's a bit of a jump. So, yeah, a very, very wealthy family. So he was basically a man of leisure. And he spent most of his time just sort of dabbling in everything. He financed one of J.M. Barry's plays um, in the early 1900s. He tried to be elected to Parliament twice uh, in 1885 and 1892 and failed both times, but he just tried it. And the rest of the time he spent travelling around Europe and he published two travel logs all the way to Italy and Yugoslavia at that time. Um, quite sort of important travel logs because a lot of it was to do with the best riding routes because mm. he was a big horseman. Uh, so yeah, it, it, he kind of just did a bit of everything. He was also a huge fan of Robert Burns and a friend of the poet Robert Buchanan. Um, and he desperately wanted to be a writer and a poet himself, but he just wasn't very good. So that he's, he's kind of shit at everything. Yeah, he's just a sort <laughs> of man like... of jack of all trades, master <laughs> of none, basically. But he really, really wanted to be um, a poet and he used his sort of status to have his poems published in various newspapers and periodicals and things. Mm. They were never particularly well received. So he kind of tried his hand at everything and tried desperately to be good at various things <laughs> and kind of didn't get on very well with it. Uh, so towards the end of his life, in the late 1890s, in 1896, he purchased a building in the town centre in Kingussie, which is now the railway station, and dedicated it to himself. He called it the James McLeod Gallery. Mm. And basically, um, I, I say it's a museum, but it was basically like his office space that mm. he had in the middle of the town. And he would go there every morning. Uh, he did this every morning <laughs> for 15 years uh, until the end of his life in 1911, he died. And he would basically go and sit there and read books and write. And you could go in there. You just go and say, all right, James. <laughs> you could go in there and see him. And um, he had maps up on the wall of the journeys that he'd been on. He had his books for sale there um he had a library of all of his books and his journals and things and he would sit there and he'd write poetry and he would read books and he could would give recitals and things so it was basically a shop just sort of <laughs> selling himself because no one else acknowledged how good he was That's he decided kind of actually, to set it up himself it sounds like the right way to go rather than hey I'm, I'm telling the story here i've had a i've had a crazy life i'm not good at anything how about i tell you about, it? <laughs> how about everyone comes to see me <laughs> rather than me trying to find you so yeah th- this is um this is what he did he, he opened this gallery as it was called in the middle of the town centre and yeah pretty much every day for 15 years he would walk into the town centre he would open his gallery or his museum and he would sit there and wait for uh, various people to turn up did anybody turn up yes there are reports uh, he sort of became like a bit of a local hero so people would travel to... you see yeah, so this is going to work out yeah, for him uh, people would travel to see him and because of the context that he had especially um, Buchanan the poet Robert Buchanan he got an article published in an newspaper in Edinburgh so he be kind of became a sort of national treasure almost he mm. wasn't particularly good as a poet but the fact that he made this much effort to mm. make a name for himself uh, people would travel to the town yeah to go and see him and they would just talk to him and listen to his poetry and things he'd have a little chat make you a cup of tea you and see, then you'd leave this sounds like the loveliest fact we've ever had yes <laughs> <laughs> there's no death there's no people lost their tongues <laughs> no, no one had their faces taken off um, it's just a lovely little tale I like that I want this to be true yeah so yeah um, yeah he died in 1911 when he was 71 so why how did the railway take it over after he died just say oh that's a good well-placed building let's build a railway to it um that i don't know actually um it's right slap bang in the center of the town i looked at it on uh, google maps mm. and it is right in the center of town so i'm i've 
guessing that it was just a, a useful and I'm, to be fair I mean he was born and lived in Kinkos his entire life so mm. he probably left the building to the town when he died he's got mm. no reason to he never married never had any kids yeah oh, that's a shame so yeah, he's it's just you know too, too busy having a good time <laughs> riding horses in Italy <laughs> spending his family's money <laughs> on nuisance parliamentary elections well it was a lovely story until you reiterated it like that oh he was a right bum wasted his life poor lad but yeah that's the story of the man who founded a museum to himself my gut says all of that's true I say he's just one of these ex- Victorian eccentrics mm. He had a fun life. He enjoyed himself. Build a build a museum to himself. <laughs> it's such a good, like. I might start doing it for my boots. <laughs> <laughs> Buy a premises in town. Sit there. Yeah, set in Newcastle. We'll get Paul set up. Become an eccentric. We'll set you up in Central Station. Just like get an office or something. <laughs> Yeah, so people, people will travel from all around. It's the Paul Anthony Jones Museum. <laughs> Just me sitting there having a cup of coffee. Are you all right? Well, I wrote a couple of word books. <laughs> No, I'm going to guess because I I just really like this story. I think it sounds it's got a ring of a big ring of truth to it. The, vi- the Victorian eccentrics. Yeah, it's got it's, this has got to be true. You're saying true? Yeah. Final answer. Yeah. Of the final fact. Of the final fact of for the, the match. season. Yep. I made all of that up. No. <laughs> no. Yeah, James McLeod. He's never I existed. Knew it. I should have got it from that name. I even said at the beginning. That's the most ridiculous stereotype Scottish name. <laughs> yeah, no. Oh. No, I made him up, sorry. I hate you yeah. so much. What a nice story, but it is, no. It's it's lo- it's, what a lovely, non-true story. <laughs> story to go out on. Oh, that's so nice. It never happened, but how lovely. Yeah, wouldn't it have been nice if uh, I should have got it as well. I should have questioned more, cause, just because I like the story so much. I should have questioned the railway station, like how you'd have to knock a lot of shit down to build a railway into the centre of a town. Even if it is a small town, mm. like without any prior infrastructure being there. I don't know, maybe the train... When, when, when did the train sort of get rolled out to places? Oh, 1820s. Oh, so it's probably already there. The very first railway, the Darlington to <laughs> Stockton Railway in 1821, maybe? If you've got that wrong, people are going to really hate it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the train fanatics. That son of a bitch. Are you working, darling? You should know that. I do. That's how I know it. Oh, uh, right. I'm sure the off... Because that's when you set off for work. <laughs> 1821. <laughs> off I go. <laughs> doo, doo. <laughs> Just about arrived in 2018. God, well done, Paul. That was really good. I see g- you You suckered me in with the schmaltz. Yeah, yeah. Nah. You know, you see, know, I know what your Achilles heel is. I am, a sh- I am a sucker for schmaltz. It's just nice stories. That's what you like. But, you know, I'm, I don't mind losing to that one on this episode. Yeah, it, yeah. Nice little tale. What a shame it's complete BS. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. If we get more than three listeners to this, we might think about making a second season. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll definitely keep your posters. Thanks anyway for listening, and we'll catch you next time. <laughs>